0: are here and those online is uh, getting settled in. We are, sadly to say, finishing up my favorite book, Joshua. And uh, we're going to take chapter 24 tonight. Uh, just one announcement. Um, there is uh, putting a mark in the worship team's heart is uh, if you believe God may be leading you to serve in the music ministry on the worship team and would like to get more information, just talk to Mark and uh, and I know that they might be looking at uh, doing like a just an open mic and play your bring your instruments and just you know just do some jam sessions together uh, hopefully that just for fellowship time to get together and just uh, do uh, what it's always love when they're spontaneous with people would just bring their guitars or singing and and just start worshiping God at a home or or you're at the church. So anyway, that's of uh, the Lord's been put in your heart, and you're like, ah, should I ask? The invitation's just been opened, so <laughs> so yeah, the the invitation's open for you. So just see Mark and uh, see what the Lord's doing there in your life to serve the Lord. Now, of course, we have other ministries and other places as the Lord leads you. Just let us know. We don't we don't force you to serve. We just wait for the Lord. Just on your heart, and as you grow and mature, you just, you cannot help but serve the Lord here, and you just let us know, and we'll plug you into whatever the ministries, are, or maybe new ministry that the uh, Lord is putting on your heart to start. So anyway, it's going to be a little bit here, so let's uh, get going, so I have every minute possible, so we're not here until midnight for sure. Father, we thank you for your word. Again, Lord, what a blessing it is that we can gather here in your name, uh, here in person, online, and what a technology is, the opportunity to Open that, But there's nothing like being together in person and in fellowshipping after and before and and just uh, talking about you. We op- as we open up here, Joshua, and, and take the last chapter, Lord, it's been a journey here as we continue to go through uh, the entire Bible and, and here on Wednesday nights through the Old Testament, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And again, we thank you and praise you for your grace and your and uh, mercy, Lord, allowing us to be able to come. And to uh, hear your word um, and speak to our hearts, only by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. The title tonight is uh, the last one. Is choose God, uh, Joshua twenty four. If you remember, if you were with us in Joshua twenty three, it was the Joshua's uh, final addressed to, and here we see a continuation of this of Joshua's final words and we see here right in Joshua 24 verse 1 then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and they presented themselves before God. Now if you remember in chapter 23 it started off basically the same thing but let me make a couple of notes it really the emphasis was yes it called to Israel but it was more just from a leader's perspective that they were calling I believe it was, these are two different events. Some people believe they were the same event and it's just continuation. You can ponder on that and what the Lord shows you. The reason why I lean to our two separate uh, gatherings here is because the difference in the language that I see here is, is in chapter 24, is gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Now we know exactly where we're at. We're in 23. We didn't know exactly where it was. Was it up in Ephraim where Joshua's home was? Was it... Wherever it may be, but here we see a Shechem, and the word and is not in the one in chapter 23, but here is a connecting word, and called the elders. So they called all the tribes of Israel and the leaders, and the 23, it sounded like just the, just the leaders. But either way, it doesn't matter at this point in time, Joshua had some parting words here and re-emphasis of some key things and he's almost like the historian. He's bringing a reminder to them of what God has done uh, to encourage them, ex- exhort them, and understand and remind them in renewing of that covenant that has been right from the very beginning with Abraham. And it says here that the fact that they're in Shechem. They're, they're in, of course, Shechem is in, this, in the scripture is, has a lot of rich history. <laughs> if you go back and if you, if you could just do a search as you're reading through the Bible in the year, just remember the word Shechem there, uh, especially as you go through, because there are at least four Shechem uh, notable events that, uh, that uh, the patriarchs at the time had to live and established here of all places. The first two instances we see in Shechem was a place for like a calling or commitment that God was putting on um, Abraham's life and other the patriarchs. And then the second time uh, we see is Shechem becomes a place of shame. There's some high, tremendous eyes where the Lord has brought them in the promised land, the place called Shechem, and a really lows, And it all happens within the, the life of the nation of Israel. But Abraham came, if you remember, in Genesis 12, verses 6 and 7, Abraham came into the promised land and was first camped at Shechem. May, remember, he was comes from the other side of the of the river, the Euphrates. He's comes from pagan world. You know, he's way out of there, and God brought him out of the land of Ur and brought him down into the promised land that He was going to give him. And this is the where he first camped was the Shechem, and here, full circle, at the end of this whole journey, it appears Shechem is really again uh, where God wanted to make sure His people were gathered once again starting with Abraham and then having an entire nation. But there God appeared to Abraham and confirmed his promise, God's promise to Abraham built on an altar, and he built an altar there to the Lord. Now when Jacob came back into the promised land, he first camped at Shechem. And he purchased the land at Shechem and built an altar there, And and so uh, an altar that he refers to as God, the God of Israel, that we see in uh, Genesis chapter 33, verses 16 through 20. Jacob's sons, unfortunately, Simeon and and Levi, uh, deceptively, unfortunately, lured the men of Shechem into a massacre and murdering all the men of the city. We see that is the low there for uh, Genesis Uh, chapter 34. But in a season of recommitment to God, there's a times in people's lives, especially in the early part, you've given your life to the Lord at one point, you were really on fire for the Lord. And then things in the world starts, you know, starts enticing in and and careers and family and all kinds of things, and you can almost got too comfortable with your relationship and, and what it was. And you can have a tendency to drift and and, and not be so committed to to serving God and following God. And, and here we see this is a season of recommitment to God in Jacob's life uh, in Genesis 35, verses 1. 1 through 5 where God told him to go to the Bethel. Jacob did so and commanded all of his household to put away their idols and Jacob took those idols and burned them at the Terebeth tree near Shechem. Well now we're here in Joshua chapter 24 and we're at the very end and Joshua's reminding them these these truths these historical truths of bringing them to Recommit, stay committed, be very focused on the Lord, and that was the reason why uh, he was exhorting and uh, and making sure they had that covenant, the understanding that covenant still is alive and well for them. And so he wanted to make sure all the Israel uh, nation of Israel hears them, all the leaders who can reinforce it, to make sure um, this impressive gathering of the leaders and the nations were meeting in this this conscience presence of God. They were coming to Shechem for the purpose of coming into the presence of God. Isn't that true for us? We wake up and say, Lord, it's Sunday. I want to go to church. It's Wednesday. I want to go to church. It's gathering of the ladies of the gathering of the men. We want to gather together. And it's not for just social. (laughs) That's That's not the purpose that we're social. It is to gather consciously in the presence of God as God's people. That's why we come together and not to forsake the, the fellowship of, of, of his people because God lives and breathes through you and is used through you to, to be able to minister to other people. And so we want to come to church is to come consciously to meet in with the people of God, yes, but the, in the presence of God. That's who we worship too. We come together and we worship our God together in unity. There are some people who believe that they... Presented themselves before God means that they did this before the tabernacle, which seems at the time to have been in Shiloh, which is we saw last seen in Joshua 18. Uh, but either way, they, they were they moved the tabernacle or they didn't have the tabernacle. Either way, they were coming to meet with God in the presence of God. So if they had moved it to Shechem for some reason at that point, we see that here in the very first verse. Now, what's interesting is down verses 2 through 13, as we read that in one continuation for the most part, make note of the words there in verse 2. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. That is a very important statement here because Joshua says to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times. And the uh, the river there is referring to the Euphrates. They served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. So we see that, as we see, thus said the Lord. Notice there in the language starting with verse, uh, verse three. Then I took the father of Abraham. Joshua didn't take the uh, Abraham down. <laughs> God is in now is speaking literally through Joshua, and he's is writing down the words that literally the God is speaking through. It's, this is prophetic, this is, this is prophecy, this is speaking uh, here. And it says, then I took, I gave. I served, I did the, he's, God is literally working through the life of Joshua here, speaking this prophecy is not, I guess, necessarily a prediction of the future, but it's simply being a uniquely directed, spontaneous word from God through him, and he's writing it down, and we get to read it today. That the fathers dwelt on the other side of the river of old times. And he's bringing this history of the patriarchs, of how that was formed and how that was gathered together. And started on the other side of the river of Euphrates and brought them down through. Because remember, there were no Jews at the time. Abraham was the star of the Jewish nation. There was no Jews prior to Abraham here. But he grew up in that pagan, idolatrous home back there on the other side of the river. And God brought the, spoke to him and brought him out. And Abraham literally packed up and left with his family on faith. He, was a, he worshipped multiple gods. And now the one true God speaks to him. And he literally believes what God is saying. And He packs everything up and he moves to a land he's never been to. And we know that Ur and Haran and other centers of moon worship that they did. He left it all. Joshua was telling the people, your past heritage is a people that were not God's people. Remember, in the very beginning, it, God, they were not God's people. They were lost. They were are following the true God. But then God spoke to their hearts, and they believed. And they believed. And that belief led to them to go and follow God and go where God told them to go, regardless of how he felt. Thus the Lord God to to Jerusalem in Ezekiel 16, 3. Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan and your father was an Ammonite and your mother was a Hittite. That was the beginning of the nation of, of Israel. And before God challenged Israel, in the, at the end of this very, this very letter here, at the, the very end of this, what we refer to as a chapter, God himself, before he challenges Israel here, in the language here as we read these verses, he reminds them of his faithfulness. That's why he's going back to history. is the history of faithfulness of God all the way through this. And then God is going to charge him, of reminding him of the covenant to keep that covenant that relationship of being obedient to him. That fellowship is all right there, that faithfulness, I should say, the faithfulness and his goodness was shown at every beginning of the deal, his dealings with Abraham and his, all of Abraham's descendants, all the patriarchs. In verse 5, we see, also I sent Moses and Aaron, and plague plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. Red Sea, remember? And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them, and their eyes saw what I did in Egypt. So here God again speaks directly I sent Moses, I brought you out of there, I brought your fathers out of Egypt. I'm the one that split the, and separated the Red Sea. I'm the one that led these, these, the enemies to come in and all the chariots and horsemen and then bring the water down and cover up and that was, became their burial. I covered them. And your eyes saw what I did. I did. God says, I did in Egypt. I brought you out of bondage. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out to start a new life, a changed life. Again, God's faithfulness. It's amazing. Sometimes we forget about God's faithfulness that has brought us through from the point when he spoke to our hearts, we believed and we gave our life to Jesus and we were regenerated, born again. And through this life, all these tests and challenges and things that the enemy was coming after us, or the things that cha- changes of life, and God is so faithful to bring us through those, we should not ever forget them. We see in now this last part of seven, verse 7 then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam and the son of Beor to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. So another Example of God's faithfulness, not only who He's being faithful—coming out of the, you know, from Abraham, coming out of the, out of the uh, pagan world, uh, coming and bringing God's people out of the uh, Egyptian pagan world—and <laughs> now they find themselves in the wilderness and a really dry part of their life here, <laughs> and then trying to get to the promise Land to grow and. God reminds them here, you were in the wilderness a long time, 40 years, a long time to be in the wilderness. But he faithfully brought them out of the wilderness. And it was a challenge. They had, remember, the whole generation at that point in time had to die off because of their unbelief. But God continued to bring through the nation of Israel and wait for the next generation because he said he's going to be faithful to fulfill the promise, which is to bring his nation into the promised land. But here, though, if Joshua, the Lord summarized most of the Exodus journey with one, basically one of these sentences. Just a simple one sentence, basically. But what's noticeably, as you ponder on this summary of what he's done, you notice that he did not highlight any of the negative. He didn't bring up the negative of history for them. It's not noted here. He just was showing that he didn't point out like I've already pointed out. He didn't point out the rebellion, their sin, their failure and stuff that during those 40 in having to be in the wilderness for 40 years. He just said he dwelt in the wilderness a long time. It didn't go into the, bad, the, 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 the details of what happened in that history. But when he reviewed this history through Joshua, he made, again, no mention, but God said, their sin I will remember no more. Did he, where did he say that? In Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31-34. God said, I will not remember their sin no more. When God has forgiven you, God has, has worked in your life, he's brought you through those rebellious and sinful and mistakes of your life, he doesn't sit there and bring it back up against you. He doesn't remind you of your sin constantly like the enemy does. He moves you on. He says, let's move on. Let's focus on what I have for you in the future here. Learn from the past, yes, but you need to move forward. You need to move on. And he even said there in, in... in, in the fact that there was enemies, people who were coming against even some of God's people. We see in Balaam tried to get God to to curse his 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 nation there in Numbers twenty two through twenty five, because Balak was paying him off and trying to be a paid uh, you know paid <laughs> religious leader, kind of a you know prophet. I'm going to pay you. P- profit pay you know. <laughs> it's, I'm going to just pay you off here so you can do what I want you to do in the name of God to meet the because Bala couldn't get you know couldn't curse couldn't stop God's people from coming so God was using God's people in this case a prophet Balaam to try to curse him and God said I, know I wasn't listening to him that's not going to work what do you think you're crazy I can God's looking down going, I can smite you right now. <laughs> I could take you and stop your breathing right now into a heartbeat. But God used it for, to bring his work and to, to show and reveal his power and his ability. Even though he stopped the war, there wasn't a war fight with swords or spears. It was a war nonetheless because spiritual, spiritual warfare was taking place all the time. There might not be fists thrown, it may not be swords thrown, it may not be stairs thrown, but words can certainly be thrown, but most of it is all spiritual warfare that they were, you're dealing with. And, and the nation of Israel didn't even know what was going on up there on the high points with, between Balak and Balaam, but God did. In verse 11, it says, Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of the Jericho fought against you, also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Hittites, and the Jebusites. But I delivered them, I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. So again, here's God's faithfulness. He brings them to the very east east side of the the promised land of, of the land of Canaan and he says, I brought you right there. Came to Jericho. You're just right there, all right there, coming into this, and I, we had to fight all these battles. I fought them. I delivered them into your hand. I even sent a hornet in there to drive these big kings, these huge people that were dwelling in that time, and the two kings and all their the, of the Amorites. And I just drove them out. Did I have need you with your sword in hand to do it? No. Did I need to have your bow in hand to to fight them? No. I just used what I had to use. God has power to do things that man has no idea. All they rely upon is what they see and what what leaning on their own understanding. And there's always something with a sword or a bow. But God says, no, no. Remember, you didn't have to lift the finger. Matter of fact, you benefited from all of that. You didn't have to labor for the land or the cities or all the food and all the fruitfulness that came from that, I'm the one it has given to you because I am a faithful God. I'm a faithful God. God linked the absolutely ancient history of Israel all the way back to Abraham to their current history and now it's presented to them at the final pieces here of, uh, end of, the, kind of the end of the story for getting into the promised land. But God had done all of that their whole lifetime because he's been faithful. He's not faithful in our lifetime and just certain when we first get saved or, or the early days of getting saved. But no, God is faithful throughout the entire lifetime. But you would think, you're sitting there munching on some great grapes in the vineyards and drinking the wine from it and you know, you're just living in a house that you didn't build, you didn't have any mortgage, you didn't have, you, you didn't have anything. No mortgage, no payments, you got all the fruits. and everything. You would think you would be constantly praising God. Thankfulness of God. Amazing and worshiping just your amazing God of how you've provided for me so faithfully. You would think that would be their natural result, wouldn't you think? No, even with everything that God has provided so faithfully, people have a tendency to still not worship God and be thankful to, to, to God, grateful to God. It's almost like they take it for granted that God has provided so miraculously. Hearts grow cold because of unthankful and ungrateful hearts. And we know the history that's exactly what happens to the God's people. But right here we see God's using Joshua to encourage Joshua to, to now as we go into verse 14, the remaining is to speak to them now to recommit the covenant, the, to choose God. Bring them back around. Choose God. He just brought through the whole entire history of God being faithful. Choose God. He's going to take you into the promised land. He's given you all the land, all this stuff. Choose God. When everything gets settled down and everything is, it seems to be in a routine and a ru- it's just kind of routine and we're just serving God and yes, we're going to the t- temple and we got this, we're going to this. Choose God. When the enemies start coming after you, choose God. Spiritual warfare is choose God. That will be his message here. Because verse 14, Now therefore, Fear the Lord. You hear all this God's faithfulness? Now therefore. You've been reminded of all of his faithfulness? Therefore. Fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. I think you could take that entire thing and just that one verse right there. We'll get to my favorite verse in the Bible. But right there, that is incredible summary right there. You you believe God is faithful? You say you love God? You think He's faithful? He's been so good to you? Therefore, fear God. Have a reverence of God. He's a... (laughs) He's <laughs> our majesty. I mean, he's our Lord, our Savior, our Master. I mean, fear the Lord. The power and the, the wonder and the, the awe of our God, of the created of the universe. Serve him. How do you serve him? In sincerity and truth. See the two qualify. He didn't say how you have to do the following 10, 20 things and stand on your head. And, no, in sincerity and truth. When you serve God sincerely, literally sincerely, want to serve God. If you can't serve Him with sincerity, then don't serve Him until your heart gets changed and you grow and mature in your faith where you can sincerely. You can, not because you have to serve Him, because you desire, you want to serve Him with, sincere, with a sincere heart. But also do it in truth. Don't go make up your own things. Do it God's way. Truth comes from him. Do it God's way. Do it his way. And that's adding on. This is what you need to do. But there's one most important thing. You've got to put away the, the gods. The things that are coming and competing against the one who you need to fear, the one you're serving, the one who has created you. Why would you have any other gods, anything competing and getting in the way of that relationship? You can't. You don't. God says, put away the gods. They're not taking some blind leap of faith here, they saw God's work and experienced his blessings. They heard it from the past from what their par- the, from Abraham all the way up through. They've actually saw it with their own hands and their own eyes and they it, well, the miracles of what God has done. Now just serve Him. To serve God means to fear Him, to obey Him, to worship only Him. It means to love Him and f- fix your heart upon Him, obeying Him. Because you want to, not because you have to. Joshua boldly called for a deep commitment and a true commitment. Don't let your words just be words. You must have a deep commitment within that heart of yours, and you must have a true commitment. You're serving him with no other hidden agendas. You just want to serve God because... You love him because he first loved you. He died for me. He gave his life for me. How could I not serve the one that loves me that much? And that's why we lead into this next verse, verse 15. Who do you choose? Do you choose choose God or, or choose some alternative? And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Oh, here's my favorite part of the... Of my favorite verse in the entire Bible. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That was our defining verse and moment for my family when the Lord spoke to me so many years ago with that verse right there. What are you going to do, Corey? Chase, chase, chase the wealth? Chase the the next rank, chase the next position, chase the next multi-houses, multi-millionaire, blah, 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 blah. Do you, if it seems evil to, to kind of, you, you think this is wrong to serve the Lord in this way, I mean completely just fo- stop and get rid of these things that I've been doing my whole life, that's all I've known is to do these things. I've never known I I probably best not to fill in current examples of what people do that are they're like gods. But you know what God has been speaking to your heart about. That's it it's an idol, you follow it, it drives you, It, it controls you. He's already shown you to put away that God. But Joshua's asking him, it's your choice. God is not going to force you. Who do you choose today to serve? Who do you choose today to follow? And in that choice, we'll tell you and others, and especially God, who you really fear and love and worship and obey. But yes, Today, people think it's evil to serve the Lord. Believe it or not, through the strong exhortation that Joshua is saying to them, perhaps some of them are, were, were going back and forth and maybe murmuring and complaining and all things and didn't want to serve the Lord. Or God just told Joshua, you need to exhort them because they're, 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 they're at that, that, that tender, balanced moment. Am I really going to be sold out and literally just serve the Lord? Or am I going to go back and serve and pick up the old gods again? Or not let go of the gods? But he says, choose for yourself this day. You have to choose whom you will serve. If they choose not to serve the Lord, then they were then responsible to choose which deity they will serve. They may serve the gods of the, from the heritage, from Abraham and all those gods that were the, the, the fathers ahead of, on the other side of the river. Or, or just recently, out the Amorites that they just battled on the, uh, near the promised land. Are those gods, are those are the gods you're going to choose to follow? But they had to make a choice. If you're going to say not to serve God, then what God are you going to serve? And then everyone serves some kind of little God or you serve the true and living God. The answer of I don't serve any God is not true. You serve a little g or or the one and only true living God. Our choice for God is made in a clear mind of the alternatives. Some feel like life lived for God is a bad choice. But I always ask the question, compared to what? What do you mean it's a bad choice? That means your choice is compared to someone else or something else. What what else could be? The other choices are far worse Peter says it in John 6, 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What alternative is there? And if you're in your right mind, why would you serve and go and follow any other gods? But Joshua made it very clear what his life was based upon. His whole life was based upon right up to this point now, as he's, we will soon see that he dies. He says, I made a decision way back when, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He gave them the alternative. You can go chase the gods of the Amorites. You can go chase what Abraham was chasing, or you can choose to serve the God that I serve. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted to make them have a clear choice. But you will be responsible for that choice. But I choose to serve the Lord. Now it's interesting if you look at the Hebrew tense of that, even from an English tense, a future tense of that that language. But I like the Hebrew tense better. It involves a future. It involves a continuous action. A, a point to the, the past, Joshua undoubtedly, firmly says, I have chosen to serve God, and I am c- continuing to serve and choose to, to uh, I continue to choose God. I have chosen, and I will continue to choose. It's not, I, I, I'm not going back, I'm not changing my mind, I'm not going to get wishy-washy here. Joshua made it, this statement is so clear. Because he had lived a life continuously choosing to serve the Lord, and they watched his life. And when he says, I choose to serve the Lord, sometimes you don't know what the Lord is going to do in and through your life when you make that decision. Just look at Joshua when he says, Lord, I choose to serve you. Did he know that he would, that what that meant? That he would choose to have to fight the uh, Amalekites? That could have cost him everything? When he chose to serve God, did Joshua choose to reject the golden calf? I'm, I'm not serving no golden calf. I'm not following that. He could have had an entire mob of the nation coming against him and take him out because of it. But he stood strong. Joshua chose to serve the Lord by serving Moses. He, didn't ha- he took a second position. He came alongside and he chose to help another uh, Moses to, that God called to lead. And he was there saying, I am here to be second and, and follow and, and support you, what God wants to do in and through your life. But he chose to be second. He chose to humble himself and serve and, and faithfully serve uh, behind Moses to do the, God's work. But Joshua also chose to believe God's promises about the promised land. He was only one of two that came back as a spy and chose and realized this is the promised land. I have, I have complete faith in this. And he chose that. Everyone else was, entire nation went against him. He even. Joshua chose to recognize that the leadership of the entire Lord's army, the captain of the Lord's army, was God and God himself. He was not the captain. He chose to surrender to the Lordship of God. But eventually God... Because of all that faithfulness that Joshua showed by serving the Lord, God raised up and gave Joshua a choice to take leadership of Israel and lead them into the land of the promised land, choosing faith instead of unbelief. What amazing! I bet you Joshua's like, I'm going to lead your people into the promised land? See, God gives us choices. God is a choosing God. We are made in his image, and he wants us to also choose him. Question is tonight, have you chose to follow Jesus by faith in him and him alone and not look back? Completely sold out, surrendered, chose, that's it. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Have you made that decision yet in your life? He understood when he said, but for me and my my house, he understood that he was the priest of his family. He is taking charge of the responsibility to see the whole house, his whole house to serve him. Not just him, but his whole house was to serve the Lord. He had the job of representing his whole house before God. And he was going to do whatever was right in the eyes of God. Godly to make sure that, he, that he was, his household did serve the Lord. Not just words, but actions. There's a lot of things that in that decision when you say, before, but, for, but as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. There will be a lot of decisions. And God will be taking you through a lot of situations in life. A lot of circumstances, a lot of of storms, lots of rains, lots of highs and lows, and you'll be taking places that you never thought you'd ever go. But when you make a commitment that we will serve the Lord as Joshua did. He's choosing that he would not serve any other gods. None. Nothing would control him. Only God would control him, would lead him. He was the only one that God, Joshua was going to worship was God and nothing else. He didn't put his trust in anyone else but God. God was the Lord of his life. We see in verse 16 that how does Israel respond to this exhortation, this very, very specific challenge here to the people. So in verse 16, so the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is who brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites, who dwelt in the land, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. So they made a, a, a profession from their lips. They made a vow. We are, he is our God. And we're going to serve him. We're not serving any other gods. They're making a strong declaration as a nation of Israel based on what they came out of the mouth, based on how God dealt with them uh, and, and all their enemies and themselves, the nation. How God was so faithful to bring and through them all of this and bring them to this point in their life in the promised land. And he says, how could, how could they not serve God? But he says, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. John six sixty six verses through sixty nine. Again, it's just a strong point here in the scripture for us, where it says, "Lord, to whom shall we go? We, ha- you have the words of eternal life. You just ponder on what Peter said. Just ponder on that. His disciples... that what why would we want to go anywhere else? If you really knew God, why why would you in your right mind go anywhere else? To serve anybody else, to follow or to trust in your, your life. You would absolutely be sold out in serving the Lord and the Lord alone. But notice what Joshua does here. He gives him a warning. I, I know you spontaneously, almost like when I read this, as you read through the scripture, it's almost like a, a natural spontaneous. Of course we love the Lord. <laughs> Have you ever met someone like that? What are you doing this, 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 this Wednesday? I'm going to church. What are you, you going to do on uh, Thursday night? Oh, men's Bible study. What are you going to do on Saturday? Oh, we're going to go to the church and serve because there's some things that we need to do for, the, for God's people. Oh, so what are you gonna do on Sunday? May, uh, no, I go to church. I, I'm going to be around God's people. I want to serve and worship God together in unity with them and serve together and and just just be used by God. And I want to serve God. Do you go to church? Oh, yeah. I know God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know God. <laughs> it's almost like a night like a. So Because if how that makes it like how can I? I can't. I cannot tell him that really the truth. I've, I haven't been to church in my whole life, I mean, I can't tell him that. I mean, I know a little bit about. It's almost like the spontaneous. But Joshua challenges is what I see here in verse nineteen. But Joshua said to the people, he didn't say, "God, oh, praise God! I think so glad you have committed here." No, no. He says, "You cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins." If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua might make sure, this is not a... a sicker-sensitive type little moment here and and make everyone feel loved and God loves you all and and you can just do it and live however you love your life and when you eventually decide to want to get rid of the other gods of your life, then that would be great, but God doesn't doesn't matter. Whatever happens, because God still loves you. No, no, it's not like the churches of today. No, 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 no. God, Joshua used a clarity. You realize there's consequences. In those days, in the Old Testament, there's consequences. If you do not, if you forsake God and you don't serve Him and you you literally start serving foreign gods, there's going to be consequences. For us as a New Testament, as a believer, there will be discipline. God will work with you and deal with you and, and, and work out those gods out of your life. He's not going to have any other God before Him. So Joshua is not trying to discourage their faith at all, but making and trying to discourage the light commitment. And that's what I gathered from it. There was this this spontaneous light commitment to follow the Lord. And they needed to be reminded that they are serving a God under a covenant that promised that they would be cursed for disobedience. He's reminding them, don't forget the covenant. Jesus expressed the same kind of warning explaining the following: those who are following him that, took, uh, uh, that takes total commitment. Go back and read Luke 14, verses 25 through 33. It wasn't that Jesus didn't want followers, but he did not want lightly made or easily broken commitments. Don't give a light commitment because it's just everyone's saying it, and I, I guess I should say it. Oh, I'll serve, Lord, because you came from the Bible belt and that's because you were raised in a a Christian home and that's what you were always taught to say and you just mimicked it and followed along and now you're on your own and you have your own ability to choose God or an alternative because you're no longer under your grandma, grandfather, mom, dad and your parents and all of it. You're you're away now. This is your relationship with God. What are you going to do with that relationship? Joshua, in the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit says to us, Choose God. Choose God. Choose, choose to serve Him. Verse 22 So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. Notice that. Now therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you. So he called them out. You've got foreign gods among you. That's why I'm bringing this up. I'm I'm, I'm exhorting you. I'm, 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 I'm bringing it to light. You've got foreign gods in your life. You've got to get them out. They're among you. And incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. Because if you have other gods, you're not going to incline your heart to God. You're not going to read the word. You're not going to pray. You're not going to get around God's people when you have foreign gods in your life. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. He didn't wait. He didn't say, I'll come back with you in the next day if you want to make a decision. No, no, we're making a decision now. I want you right now, while you're consciously saying in your heart, yes, we're going to choose to serve God and we choose to obey his voice. Okay, let's write a covenant with the people right now, this day. And he made for them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to, the, to all the people, Behold, the stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord. Oh, isn't that an interesting little statement? For it has heard, what has heard? The stone has heard all the words of the Lord, which he spoke to us, and he shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. Back to the land. They all went back to the land. That's why I believe the whole nation was gathering there in Shechem. Because he said, okay, you're dismissed. And they all were going back to the lands where they come from. But Joshua required a covenant being confirmed by the testimony of two witnesses. Deuteronomy 19.15. The people and the stone became two witnesses of that rebinding commitment of covenant they have with God at that moment in time. And they said they were willing to enter into it. And to obey God's covenant. And Joshua was not going to wait for that moment When they made the act uh, with their words of commitment to serve the Lord. Verse 29. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath-Sirah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gosh. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. So Joshua dies at a ripe old age, 110. He goes back to the land that he got to, to select there, to live there up at the mountains on the north side of the Mount Gash. And it seems to have been... No great funeral noted here at all. That's one of the things that's interesting when I read this all the time. There's no great funeral noted here. There's no mourning for him. To, you know, the days that they were supposed to mourn, I'm sure they did follow the, the law from the Old Testament about mourning. But they just simply make him one key statement that's on his tombstone. On the stone rolled over, the, over the, where they buried his bones. What is that statement? Just like Moses Right there in verse 29, the very, very top. This, Here is Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord. That is a great statement or summary of one's life. Not the drunkard, not the drug addict. Not the greedy, not the fill in the blank. No, no. He was the servant of the Lord. The greatest tribute to Joshua, his godly influence was effectively communicated to and through the whole nation by the simple, the servant of the Lord. Oh, how beautiful those words are. And may that be us as well. But look at what happens else. Not Not only did we have his death, but look at the next one. We see that the bones of Joseph they're still alive and well, As uh, probably bad words to use, but the bones of Joshua, which the children of Israel had brought out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. So they may seem like a... Inconsequential point here that they have the bones still that they brought so faithfully out of Egypt, as Joseph said, make sure you don't leave me in Egypt and take me back into the promised land. But it fulfills Genesis 50, verse 25. It fulfills that promise that God is tying up all these loose ends that God said he was going to bring those bones and, and bring them back into the promised land. And here they're mentioned in the scriptures how in Hebrews eleven twenty two is a perfect example of Joshua's faith that he knew what God was going to do. God was going to take the nation of Israel back into the promised land. His bones, he wanted to be buried there with them and all, and it happened. And here's another obituary. Look at the third obituary. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died. They buried him in a hill belonging to Phineas, Phineas, Phineas. I don't know why that, Phineas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. So Eliezer's death meant that another link with the wilderness generation has passed because now... He's no longer the high priest. Phineas is now the high priest. Everyone is passed on. As the the next generations pass, they each will be challenged to continue to conquer the land, to maintain the land of the promised land that God had given them. But look at the, I mean, just a summary. Look at three faithful Men here at the very end, obituaries of closing out that God wanted to make sure we knew how he sees these things. These are faithful men serving in three different capacities in three different ways. Used all difficult lives, difficult places, difficult things that are happening in their lives. Huge responsibilities for some. But all of them represent a faithful man. Serving God. They were all a servant of God. But especially here in Joshua. What a close of a great book. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for allowing us, Lord, to to be able to close out uh, the book of Joshua. May it just just inspire us, Lord, and encourage us to continue to go back and reread through this book but also take this information as we go forward into the rest of your scriptures, Lord. The next book, just allow us to make the connections all the way back to Genesis of your promises and of your faithfulness and of your love and, and your power and your, your spirit and, uh, that you do in and through your people. We Again, thank you for this, this evening, Lord, being able to gather here in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful, blessed night. See you soon.